0: Before he passed away, we had a lot of conversations around where I was going, what I was doing, and he always encouraged me in that way. And you know, I, I miss him a lot because he was such an inspirational person.
1: This is the Real Food Real People podcast. Are ready to get kind of sciencey? <laughs> We're gonna get. We're going to get into some science stuff uh, this episode on the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm host, Ellen Honkoop. Glad you're here. We're talking with a guy who's basically a farming scientist, for lack of a better term. His team is made up of the key people who are studying scientific issues in farming and growing food here in Washington State. These are scientists who are trying to help farmers make better food and make their food better, if that makes sense. Improve the quality of what the, of what we're able to produce as well as improving the process of growing it. And this is so much about the technology now that's involved in farming and knowing every little thing about the plants and the soil and, and the food and what makes it good and what makes it not good and what the impacts are. It's really extensive, and it's pretty amazing. Chad Kruger is our guest this week, and he actually grew up um, in a farming family in eastern Washington. It was kind of cool. During the conversation, we realized we had this kind of family roundabout connection that we would have never otherwise recognized other than this talk about how what was going what his grandpa was doing was actually related to you know connected to my family as well as my wife's family my wife didn't even grow up in washington state but she's connected to this story so you'll hear that part and i thought that was super cool to find out uh, chad has A really great perspective on what's happening with technology and science and farming and the production of food and why it's uniquely challenging here in Washington, but also why we have such incredible opportunities. We talk about climate change as well. That could actually end up being an opportunity for farming in Washington state in the future. Um, but he also has some warnings with how we're handling that and if we're taking action soon enough on issues. So we get into all of it this week again with Chad Kruger. He's with the Washington State University Center for Sustaining Agriculture and Natural Resources. He's based in Mount Vernon, Washington, here in western Washington, north of Seattle, and he's got so much cool stuff to share. First, talk about what you do now and how you are connected to the food system in maybe a way that, that people don't recognize. What is it that you have been doing for the past, what, has it been 10, 15 years out here?
0: Yeah, so maybe kind of starting right now and, and working backwards a little bit, I'm currently the, the director of Washington State University's Research and Extension Centers in Mount Vernon, and in Puyallup, which are both in Western Washington. Puyallup is the original off-campus agricultural experiment station. And Mount Vernon is the newest of the off-campus agricultural experiment stations. And we call them both research and extension centers now, but essentially they're they're labs and research farms. Um, And so my role as director of those is kind of an uh, an unusual thing in terms of a university system in that it's really focused on oversight to facilities and operations management for these entities where a whole bunch of faculty research programs and extension programs operate out of. Um, so it's not quite the same as you might expect with an academic program at a university. These are really research-based programs and and my role is really responsibility for the overall campus operations and and big
1: picture investments. Um, Sounds pretty complicated and and technical. um,
0: Yes and no. Um, Bottom line is still just a leadership opportunity, Um, you know, trying to work with within the university system and with our partners in the agricultural community and the broader community to make sure that the partnership between the land grant university and the community is mutually beneficial and that we're doing things that matter in the real world. And that the real world is bringing things that they need
1: help on to the university. And the real world ultimately is producing food, right? I mean, yeah,
0: exactly. You know, the vast majority of what we do in our college is the college of agricultural, human and natural resource sciences, but we really are the, the, the land-grant college of agriculture that, you know, many people would have historically understood, and, you know, including both the academic, the the research, and, and the extension dimensions of that. Um, but we're also in the process of evolving into a future that's, you know, not unlike every other part of the food world. Things are not the same as they used to be.
1: So basically, it's where science and farming come together, right? Like, this is these are farming scientists in a way at the university level. Is that fair to sum that up? Like you're managing basically a group of farming scientists.
0: Yeah. Um, and, you know, I might say that it, we're getting more and more to the end where it's the scientist side of that equation relative to the farming science, science, you know, dual factor. Um, whereas 20, 30 years ago, I think you might have said the the science farmer was as much science as farmer. I think, you know, based on just the evolution of research needs and capabilities, we tend to focus more on getting the, the scientists that can help the farmer at this point in time. But you still have to have a pretty good understanding of how do you actually grow a crop. And, you know, you need to understand your crop in the way that a farmer has to understand the crop in order to actually be able to do research on that crop that's relevant to to the farming world.
1: So how, I guess, how scientific is farming right now then? It's becoming more and
0: more science-based, more and more data-driven. And I think what we're seeing in the ag and food world right now is all of the technology that's in the broader world around us is looking for its opportunity within the ag and food production and ag and food system at a level that even five years ago it wasn't quite looking at it as intensely Um, and i think it's going to continue to be that way where technology and data and understanding becomes more and more important to success in farming in order to you know to be able to grow a crop or produce a product that that goes off into the marketplace, whether that market is local, regional, or global.
1: What are some of the biggest things that you and your team that you work with have found or discovered or tested or like what kind of stuff are we talking about when we're talking about like data and and science of farming and growing plants in particular? I think a lot of this is, is plant stuff, right?
0: Yeah, WSU historically has been... Uh, very well known on the plant science side Um, not that we don't have strength in animal sciences too um, but historically wsu's expertise and reputation really has been on the plant sciences side Um, and and that crosses you know everything from the grains to to the specialty crops fruits and vegetables with a lot of a lot of background and focus on that and so the the facilities that i've been in charge of and a lot of the work that i've that I've been involved with really is plant science focused. though so quite a bit of animal systems as well. Um, people work on everything from breeding and genetics to crop protection, you know, diseases, insects and pests uh, and, and weeds to soils and environmental issues, uh, economics, kind of the whole nine yards. We, we touch a little bit in a lot of places we tend to be most focused on the actual crop production systems as opposed to um, at least in the, in the entities that I'm responsible for, as opposed to up the value chain of you, if you will, of the food system, though there has been some work on food processing, uh, value added and and that kind of thing. But, But the majority of our investment really has been a, you know, Growing a plant and keeping a plant growing successfully, ensuring that that's done in an environmentally appropriate way and that we're, we're minimizing impacts on the larger environment.
1: Yeah, I, when you talk about the, the processing stuff and whatnot, I do think of stuff that you guys have done, even there in Skagit, where you are like the bread lab. Um that we talked about here on the podcast with Nels Brisbane several episodes ago, but really cool stuff there. But that tends to not be the the main thing. The main thing is more on growing the plants and 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 the farming side of it is what you're saying.
0: yeah, and I think that's you know a little bit of legacy in terms of where the where the long-standing partnership between at least WSU and the the ad community has been is really the help has always been needed, on the production system side. I think we are thinking more and more about the bigger picture and and where other dimensions of our work need to be. We did have uh, a faculty member in food science who had had joined us for a short period of time at one of the research centers recently. So it's something that's on our mind and we do have a food science department, food engineering, and then of course entities like the Bread Lab that, that really are trying to wrap their mind around this bigger picture of agriculture isn't just about the production system, but it's about the whole system as it comes together. And then the need for the market to facilitate success on farm and becoming more intentional about that.
1: Mm. What's the coolest thing that you feel like in your time there you have been a part of or worked on as a team?
0: Um, for me, particularly at the Mount Vernon center, um, I think one of the coolest things that I've been able to work on is helping to bring the first soils faculty to the center there. Um, the the Mount Vernon center has a long history of working in Northwest Washington on a number of the cropping systems that are important here. Um, and it it, it, it always seemed to me to be a bit of an oversight, not to have a soils person in the mix and, mm. Well, there's always been a soils person in the mix at the Puyallup Center and and in many of the other areas where I've worked over the years. It just felt like, you know, a a key missing ingredient, if you will, of of a viable cropping systems team. And so bringing soils faculty to the table in Mount Vernon that can work with the faculty that that are more focused on the plant or the organisms that are that affect a plant kind of above the soil or in some cases below the soil. I think that was a really important thing to do. Um, Part of that is there's a lot of questions that are emerging about crop performance that can't be answered with a simple approach of diagnose and add a chemical and solve the problem (laughs) They, they really are systemic problems that we have to think about from a systems perspective and bringing a soil scientist into the mix enables a team to have all the pieces that they need to go about asking bigger picture, tougher questions that, that, you know, 30 years ago, maybe you didn't need to figure all that out, but we really do need to do that going forward. And then I think the other piece of this is as these northwest washington farming communities continue to move forward the pressure around environmental issues is going to just in keep increasing and it's already very very tight in terms of what a farmer can and can't do and the impacts that farming has on the environment and one of the best tools from a research perspective that we can bring to the table is soils research because so much of what happens in terms of impacts on the environment happen through the soil as a, as a lens or you know, a gateway into water quality, other issues like that. And so having a soils team or soils members as part of the team better enables us to serve an ongoing partnership between the agricultural community, the farmers, as well as the larger community that's living around agriculture in the region.
1: You talk about how important soils are as affecting so many things. Um, One of the things, and you talk about water quality, then there's the huge issue that everybody's talking about, which is climate change. That's another big soil-focused issue, right?
0: Yeah, there's certainly an interaction between soils and vegetation and climate um, or the, the global carbon system. I think a lot of people don't understand that the relative amount of the global carbon budget that's fixed in the soils versus the atmosphere, it's much greater in soil. Soils are a much bigger reservoir of carbon than the atmosphere. And, you know, while we talk a lot about fossil fuels in the context of, of the global carbon cycle, soils and vegetation are a pretty big part of it. And while soils aren't going to solve the whole problem, they are part of a solution. And kind of the beautiful thing is The kinds of things that we want to do from a farm level perspective to improve soil management, um, help help crops perform better, um, potentially help on the financial side for the farmer, those kinds of things tend to be good for the global carbon system as well. And so it's one of these very seemingly rare things where a focus on healthy soils is a win-win-win kind of scenario. Rather than some kind of trade-off where it's like
1: where it's like, oh, well, you have to do the right thing. It's going to cost you, but it's the right thing to do. Well, here it may benefit and you know, on both ends is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yet we still don't know very much. And I think that's the other kind of big picture issue is if, if we're going to make progress that's beneficial to farmers or the environment in soils, we need to know a whole lot more than we currently know. And, and that's both a, a general issue everywhere and a specific issue in, in this region where we haven't actively had soil scientists working in these cropping systems, is really to understand what, what do we not know how to do and how do we increase that knowledge and give producers more tools that they can to improve their soil management.
1: How do you think, I mean, like you said, there's a lot that we don't know, but how much is farming gonna change uh, with all this this focus on soil and learning about soil and all the science that you guys and so many other um, universities and agencies are doing, you know is it gonna change the face of farming in, in the near future? You know
0: that's a great question, and I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I, my suspicion is there will be changes, but they may not be readily observable in in the sense of looking at one field compared to another field and saying oh wow that's big difference you know okay. it it doesn't the soils don't tend to tend to reflect changes quickly and it so it takes a lot more time to understand how a management intervention or a management change affects the soil positively and negatively and whether or not you've achieved something that you're trying mm-hmm. to achieve and That's one of the great challenges that we talk about in the context of agricultural research is soils and cropping systems types of research questions don't tend to be easily solved with a quick experiment, and you really have to keep after them for a while. Um, and, And I don't think it's just the soil questions at this point in time anymore. You know, I think some of the disease questions and even some of the weed management questions that historically may have presented fairly simple solutions you know we've 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 answered a lot of the simple questions and and we've done that and the answer or the questions or the challenges that we're dealing with today don't have simple answers and often the answer is in the interplay between the plant and the soil or the other um organisms that interact between the plant and the soil and that's much more complicated and not quite as easy to find solutions to so you know i have high hopes but i'm not quite so convinced that there's going to be you know kind of overwhelming discoveries that really quickly help us figure out how to change things Um, and perhaps a way to think about this is thinking about it in terms of human health. you know, it used to be you got sick, you went to the doctor and there was a new medication that the doctor could give you and all of a sudden you were better.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And in agriculture and food, we were in that place for quite a while where the, the technology coming out of the science world it was able to come up with some fairly quick fixes. But we've we've used up a lot of that. And, and now we're at the point where if you talk about human health, a lot of it is about diet, exercise, and other things that you can do that, that kind of are focused on making a whole person healthier.
1: Holistic health.
0: Yeah, holistic. And and that's also, I think, where we're at in terms of farming and and food production and, and food systems is we've got to start thinking a lot more about the, the big picture and the, the interactions between the different pieces of
1: that big picture. You can talk about the soil stuff and... You know the holistic way of of thinking. I've gotten passionate about that over the years because of my dad, and I've I've talked a time or two on this program about probably more than a time or two about how I grew up on a red raspberry farm here in Northwest Washington, where you are a scientist, um, and I grew up on a red raspberry farm where my dad was very passionate about these issues and plugged in with what you guys are doing there at, at Washington State University. Um, so I've been exposed to some of this stuff and, and been thinking about it for a long time. Um, what, what's it like working with, with farmers like that and, and seeing some of these things happen on the ground in the real world, like, for instance, on, on my dad's farm?
0: I personally think that's one of the most exciting things about this whole wonderful opportunity I've been dropped into the middle of is people like your dad who who just have an incredibly curious and inquisitive mind and yet are doing their best with the state of knowledge right now to produce a crop that you know goes into an existing system but, but is never quite satisfied with you know, the feeling that we know everything we need to know. And he's always asking new questions. He's always <laughs> observing something in the field and then saying, Hey, I just saw this. What do you think that is? And, you know, most of the time we can't answer that question when he asks it. And and I think it's really valuable for our side of the, of the partnership to have people like him who are out there trying things who are, and I'm trying to think of a way to explain this, but, you know, they say farming is a, is a pretty unusual thing and that you basically have 40 chances in your life to figure it out. Hmm. And each of those 40 chances ends up looking very, very different. And the the 40 chances of course are the, the number of seasons that you have to grow a crop. And, and to be successful, you really have to be observant and thoughtful and you have to, record your data, if you will, and understand how what you've observed in the past might be similar to or different from what you're observing in the future. And and know when you need to ask the right question or, or what what specific observation that you're seeing in the field you need to pursue that one. And having producers like him that work in partnership with us where you can have these conversations and dig deep into what we do know to figure out where are the important, critical emerging questions that we need to start doing research on in order to help solve a problem before it's another crisis or to be able to capitalize on something that someone's observing that they say, hey, I've been doing this and it seems to be helping. Can you tell me why? Um, And I think one thing that's evolved within the ag research world and kind of as i point back to one of the things i said earlier about you know the science farmer thing where i think we're getting more and more onto the science end of, of that partnership is the the questions that are being asked now take a lot more knowledge and a lot more technology in order to answer them and so it's becoming more and more specialized on the science end of the equation in order to run an experiment that gets an answer that a producer needs. And so whereas, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago there was this sense that the Land Grant University was going to do research and come up with new practices and technologies that would then get extended out to the farm and the farmers would pick them up and use them. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think mm. what we're seeing now is the producers that are observing things and asking those questions are bringing those things to the scientists now. And what our job is becoming more and more about is, is helping the producer understand the phenomenon that they're observing and helping them figure out what management strategies could be employed to, you know, minimize the negative things that we see and maximize the positive things that we see. And, and I think going forward, producers are going to have to be more and more knowledgeable in order to be successful.
1: They basically have to be scientists themselves. It sounds like, what's exactly. that like with farmers? Does a farmer make a good scientist? I mean, what you're describing here is a switch from a top down approach, which it sounds like you're saying the old school approach is more top down. Now this is more like bottom up, right?
0: Yeah. And, and I think that's the way it should be. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're long since past the point where the university system knows more about these crops than the farmers do. Right? I think we're, we're at the point where the farmers know a whole lot more than we do. Um, but we have what I'd call cool tools to be able to answer very specific questions that the producers are not going to be able to answer themselves. And, and so I think, you know, as we go forward, we're going to see more and more of that kind of character to the partnership between the science community and the
1: farming community. What about scientists? Do scientists make good farmers?
0: I know a lot of scientists who, <laughs> who who could do a pretty good job farming, but I think for the most part, most of them will tell you that they're really glad they're scientists and not the farmers themselves because farming is a much more complex and challenging thing than I think most people give it credit.
1: Mm. Yeah. What, what do you think the misunderstanding is there from you know those of us who just go to the grocery store and buy food uh, about the science that goes into it. I mean what you're describing is pretty extensive as far as the amount of research and data that that's going on
0: you know part of it I think is very few people ever grow a plant anymore or care for an animal at, at any level and so a lot of the historic you know what is, what's often called indigenous knowledge doesn't exist within the greater population anymore. Hmm. And so I think there's just a lack of full appreciation for how complicated it is to produce food and to do it at the scale and with the proficiency and quality that, that we do. Um, And, you know, so I think anybody can read a book or watch a video and come to a conclusion and think they know something, but you know, 40 years of experience, 40 chances is a wealth of knowledge that I think is just often underappreciated and undervalued.
1: What's been your favorite time working with farmers?
0: Um, you know, I think one of the things I, I've always appreciated the most, and, and this comes in, in all the different roles that I've had, is the chance to sit down with farmers and talk about the future. Um, talk about where their concerns are about continued viability, where their concerns are about sustainability issues, um, whether those are, you know, profitability, um, environmental issues, um, big picture global markets and other things like that. The, the opportunity to sit down with a, a group of farmers, especially a group of farmers that come from different perspectives and can sit down and have a good conversation around what is the future looking like and how do we ensure that we have a successful future and that you know we're able to continue to improve what we're doing and put a continue to put a good product out for for consumers and, and do a good job with stewardship. And I think overall that's why I get up in the morning, that's why I do what I do is the opportunity to work with forward looking.
1: What does that future look like? I guess, well, th- there's challenges, uh, but and maybe this is a weird way of asking it, but I almost want to say like pre-COVID, what were the what were the the dark clouds in the future that we kind of need to deal with as far as producing food here in Washington State?
0: Everything, um, and and I say that kind of facetiously, but in reality, it's true. It's you know, economic profitability. You know, at the, at the bottom line, if, if a farm can't make money, it's going to go out of business. And I think one thing that a lot of people don't understand is the more and more farms that can't make money and go out of business, the more it takes with them. You know, so there is this kind of strange thing about competition amongst farms, even within an area, but also that there's a critical mass where a certain amount of cooperation of the farms mm-hmm. in an area is important to everyone's success and and health and and the pressure around cost of production the pressure around the value of the product is never going to let up i just don't see that ever letting up even even as we've gone through this recent you know little bit of upset where you know people are thinking about things like i can't go to a restaurant or I need to get a particular type of food or I can't get something that I want. Um, While we're thinking about this now about, you know, maybe the least cost product isn't necessarily the best choice all the time. Mm. It, you know, a year or two years down the road, I wonder how that's going to come back to us. Are we still going to be thinking about the fact that, you know, there may be reasons that we need to not just take the least cost producer of food in order to ensure that we've got some resilience and robustness in our in our food system, you know, so that's a big one that you know that's bigger than any of us, and, and how to address that is is monumental. It's it's a wicked problem. Uh, the environmental side, and, you know, and obviously I've worked a lot on this side. The pressure is going to continue to mount from many people in the broader public to the point where the idea that farms have any kind of impact on the environment that's negative is is a problem Um, you know and that's a challenge it's an almost an insurmountable challenge because the very act of producing food has an impact Um, the very act of eating food has an impact and so how do we continue to work with that that challenge and continue to improve and do better which drives up the cost of production you know And, and so I think that's a big one and and a lot of that tends to come out in, in terms of practical real-world impact on farms as a regulation. And so every time we've interviewed or surveyed farmers about big issues, doesn't matter if they're a wheat farmer, a tree fruit producer, a, a, a dairy farmer, um, a potato grower, a berry producer, doesn't matter if they're big or small, conventional, organic, anywhere in between regulation tends to come up as one of the biggest challenges to sustainability and farming and and it is what it is we're, we're you know we're in a, a world where regulation is becoming ever increasingly a mechanism by which we do everything and so how do we help our producers navigate that world of, of regulation um competition and and you know we've really seen this in some of our key northwest washington industries that competition isn't just local it's global and there are a lot of other places in the world that can produce the same things we produce and do it cheaper Um, it doesn't necessarily mean they're doing it better it doesn't necessarily mean that they're protecting the environment in the same way and it doesn't necessarily mean they're producing a product that's as high of quality as we are but in in a marketplace that's looking for the least cost producer, that's a real challenge to address for Washington Farms. And, you know, I've got a number of colleagues who have talked about the fact that Washington State will probably never be the least cost producer on a lot of the things that we produce. And that just is what it is. And it's because we have pretty high level you know, environmental regulations, our labor costs are, are much higher than much of the rest of the world. They're, they're much higher than much of the rest of the country. And, you know, environmental issues, regulations, all of these things make it so that we're never going to be competing on the same playing field as a lot of other locations around the world. And, and in many cases around the country. And so we're just going to have to do better and we're going to have to have a better product than everybody else is producing in order to be competitive. Um, you know, I could keep going down the list. Energy issues, you know, they tend to rear their heads up and down. Right now, energy is not a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, that's not going to be a long-term yeah. trend. It's going to come back. You know, climate is going to be an issue. Um, relatively speaking, we seem to be insulated from some of the more you know, dire predictions on the climate side. But sooner or later, there's going to be direct effects. There's going to be indirect effects, water supply. Um, The fact that we look relatively good compared to a lot of other regions means that a a lot of food production in a lot of other regions is going to start looking at the Northwest and saying, hey, we need to move there. Yeah. You know, so what are the dynamics that that's going to create?
1: Yeah, why other than, and I've heard that elsewhere, too, that that Washington really hasn't been as affected uh, by climate change as other parts of the world, to, you know, to date so far, it seems to be a slower thing here than maybe elsewhere. But beyond that issue, what are the advantages for for growing food here in Washington. You're talking about the challenges. I guess maybe some of those challenges are also insight into some of the the benefits too. But ultimately, yeah, why why do, what's so great about growing food here in Washington?
0: Yeah, that, you know, on the climate side, that is one of the things is, if you think about our geographic location in the globe, we're pretty far north. Um, There aren't a whole lot of regions further north than us, that are big fruit and vegetable production regions. Hmm. You know, there's some grain producing regions that are further north than us, but generally speaking, the fruit and vegetable production regions are south of us. And so if you think about climate in terms of getting warmer, it, you know, another way to think about it is moving south. So if you think, you know, 10, 10, 15 degrees of warming, you're in the Central Valley of California, you know, that looks pretty good for us. So. I think that's something that, you know, may not be on a lot of people's radar screens yet, but as we move forward, there are going to be opportunities in our region, in part because we've got a lot of good, viable farming land, and we've got a lot of resiliency and the resources that are necessary to produce fruits and vegetables like water supply. Um, So, You know, I think we do have some opportunities in front of us, but we need to be thinking about them and planning for them. And one of the things that concerned me a little bit about the COVID-19 situation hitting was, you know, all of a sudden everybody's focused on an immediate crisis, which is a big thing, very serious. But if we don't quickly address this crisis and get our eyes back on the big prize of the long run, we're going to miss key investments that we need to be making relative to our future success. And and that's something that's always difficult to do in the crisis is you get so caught up in the day-to-day that it's easy to forget about thinking 1, 2, 10, 15, 30, 50, 100 years ahead, which in order to continue being successful, you've got to be looking ahead all the time.
1: I can see that a, a couple of years, a couple of decades down the road, we could be saying, well, why didn't we get that going back then? Well, because remember, we were in the middle of that whole virus thing. Oh yeah. yeah. That would be, yeah, that would be a sad and, and really at that time looking into the future, a really frustrating thing to look back on and say, yeah, we were worried about that and it was a bad thing, but now we're suffering here in the future from from things that maybe we didn't you know have our eye on the ball enough with at that time yeah and
0: i think you know this virus thing is is one of those you know we should have seen this coming in fact Mm. some people did see this coming and we should have been ready for it and it's this is not going to be the last time it happens um but we have this thing that we do that we tend to focus on recent experience as as the guide to the future and we tend to forget things that were really important until they hit us again and And we've got to get better about learning from our experiences and being ready and prepared for the next time. You know, a good example of that was drought in the region. You know, 2005 was a pretty rough drought. And then we were in pretty good shape in the region for about 10 years. And then we had a big drought again in 2015. And it was surprising how much had been forgotten. You know, between 2005 and 2015, response options and strategies and and infrastructure and institutional knowledge that should have been there ready to respond wasn't there. And coming out of the 2015 drought, there was a lot of learning that happened that, you know, should make the next time we deal with drought because it's coming again, should make it easier to deal with in the future. And yet I'm not so sure that we've got that one figured out yet either.
1: How did you get into this world of food and farming? And obviously you're so passionate about it. I mean, did you grow up around farming?
0: Yeah, I I have the immense blessing to come from a family that has generational farms in Washington State and both my mother and father's side. So my mom's dad was a berry grower from Linden. Um Arneson farms. Um, he was a really innovative guy. Uh, he came out kind of after world war II and started, you know, a diversified farming operation and ultimately got into strawberries. And so growing up, I, you know, I got to spend quite a bit of time with him and learn from him. And in fact, he, he used to tell me stories of working with the WSU scientists at the Puyallup and Mount Vernon experiment stations where I'm currently the director. Um, you know, so, I, I knew about those those stations and I knew about ag science before I ever knew what the land grant was. And so that, <laughs> that was a pretty important thing. And then on my dad's side, we were a, an Eastern Washington wheat and cattle ranching family that mm. the family came out at the end of the Civil War. Um, so, you know, I think I'm sixth generation relative to the, the ones who came out first settled in the state. Wow.
1: Back to your mom's side, the Arnesons, I I remember them. I remember that farm. My uncle worked for the Arnesons. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, my wife, who is from B.C., uh, and I met her in college, she remembers coming down from B.C. to the Arneson farm to pr- uh, handpick and, and do you pick strawberries. That that exactly. was her memory of Linden before I you know knew her. Um, it breaks my heart now to see that that original Arneson home place covered in homes, but yes. I understand that's yeah. that's the way of the world these days. But uh, every time I drive by it, it's like, yeah, that used to be a strawberry field right there. Uh, what do you think, you said, so that was your grandpa on on your mom's side? Yeah. What do you think yeah. he would say right now about you seeing you being the director of these things that that he was interacting with as a professional, as a farmer back then?
0: Well, you know, he knew that he was a big part of my curiosity and, and push towards this direction. And before he passed away, we had a lot of conversations around where I was going, what I was doing. And he always encouraged me in that way. And, you know, I I miss him a lot because he was such an inspirational person. You know, he always had a new thing. He was going to try a new approach he loved the farming, but he loved the people too. he talked a lot about all of those customers that came down, particularly cu- customers from Canada <laughs> who crossed the border every year for decades to come yep. pick strawberries and, and the relationships he developed over the years. And, you know, and for me, that was a big thing because while I was interested in the farming and the science, he taught me that the relationships were probably as or more important than all of it. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a juxtaposition from my other grandfather who, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere in eastern Washington. And, you know, he, he, there, there was a saying that anytime he was more than seven miles from the home place, he was stressed. And, you know, <laughs> I feel a little of that, too. Um, you know, so it's kind of this interesting juxtaposition of two farm families, you know, two grandfathers that had a lot of influence on me and, and where I'm at.
1: Yeah. How much do you think about that? day-to-day i mean does that cross your mind sometimes when you're doing stuff
0: every day every day i think about it every day
1: mm. what do you want your legacy to be
0: um that's a great question It's one that as i get older i'm more and more thinking about um and part of this is you know watching my dad who recently retire and he he's thinking a lot more about his legacy. And so I'm starting to think about, you know, maybe that's something I should be thinking about too. Um, it's doesn't come naturally to me. I tend, tend to do the thing that's right in front of me to do that needs to be done at that time. And if that means, you know, sticking a shovel in a pile of manure at the time, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. But I think more and more in, in the leadership opportunities that I've been blessed to have is I'm more effective when I'm helping someone else figure out how to solve the problem that they have in front of them. And so, you know, more and more as I grow older and have more opportunity, I'm seeing that that what I feel success in is when other people are able to succeed, in part because they figure out how to work together, you know, whether that's the the Farmer University Partnership, that kind of thing, or or two other people, you know, however they come together, you know, helping people figure out how they get over these hurdles that we tend to throw up in our human organization and make sure that we can succeed going forward.
1: Yeah. Where did you actually grow up? I mean, where, where was home for you as a kid?
0: So I grew up in eastern Washington. I grew up in a little town called Othello, um, about we're about 90 minutes from our Eastern Washington ranch, but you know, Othello is the place you stop to get gas between <laughs> Ellensburg and Pullman. <laughs>
1: yeah um,
0: And so I grew up there and actually my first official experiences in ag research were for WSU as a high schooler working at the Othello experiment station doing some uh, field work in potatoes. And so, you know, worked on an experiment that was looking at, Irrigation rates and fertility rates and potatoes and another experiment looking at some of the early root imaging for potato work. So trying to understand, you know, what's going on underneath the surface of the soil as potatoes grow.
1: It's crazy. We just recently had on the podcast uh, Camus Ubelocker from Othello. He's a, a feedlot owner and operator out there. So yeah, you're from the same that same town, that same neck of the woods that maybe a lot of us haven't necessarily spent a whole lot of time in. But man, a lot of the food that we eat here and all over the place comes from that part of the state. <laughs> Between yes. the potatoes and the beef and everything else, that's, and the fruit and, and everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if you really think about it, the central part of Washington, where it's irrigated, the, you know, a lot of that was broken out within the lifetimes of many people who are still farming mm. um, and you know and it's become one of the most productive areas of the world in terms of a lot of vegetable and fruit production systems
1: what does the future hold for you
0: well i'm not totally sure yet um but like i said earlier i tend to do the thing that's in front of me <laughs> um very soon I might find out I, I did announce last fall that I was going to step down from the Mount Vernon and the Puyallup research centers. Mm. Um, you know, it had been five years at Mount Vernon and three years at Puyallup, which I was doing from a distance and the, the call to go back to Eastern Washington be a little closer to that family ranch um, was was getting more and more powerful. Um, so we'll see where I end up, but fairly soon I think we'll know.
1: Yeah, what what kind of yeah? You want to be back to that family, Roy? Are you gonna farm yourself? What do you think? Probably,
0: probably not gonna farm myself. I don't think my wife would take the finances of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a little joke, but someday I'm someday I'll go ride fences and be a cowboy again.
1: There you go. That's awesome. Well, thank you for for sharing and opening up. I mean, there's uh, we just really touched the surface of a lot of really big things that I know that you've spent years working on. Um, so I appreciate you being willing to take that kind of summary look at it because maybe, it, you know, some of this stuff doesn't do it justice, but I think it's so important and, and something that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of That's part of really the food system here is the university involvement in the science. And I don't know, some people even get kind of scared with, you know, how oh, it's so scientific and technical. I really view it as a good thing, right?
0: Yeah, i I don't see how going forward... It, it's avoidable. Um, and, and whether it's the university or private sector or someone else, the the pressure on the agricultural and food systems to be able to answer questions with data and to be able to manage with data are just gonna increase. And so you know I think the the long term partnership between the land grant university and the farmers gives gives a big a, a bit of a leg up in that but it's something that we've got to double down and invest in to ensure that we're going to be successful.
1: Well thank you for sharing your story and and talking with us and and also with this whole COVID thing going on, stay safe and and healthy out there. All right, thanks Dylan. This is the Real Food
0: Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food.
1: I still think that's so cool that his grandpa was all about and would talk about people like my wife and her family who had come down and picked berries and here years later me and Chad ended up connecting over that. What a cool guy though and and somebody who's really accomplished as a scientist but also a manager and to do that, I mean, you have to yeah, you have to be about all the data and all the The technical stuff but you also have to understand the people and the big picture where this is all going and why even are we applying science to food well it has to do with our future um, as a community as a state as human beings and and doing the right thing and, and producing food the right way uh, but also efficiently and competitively. It's just so cool to hear his focus on all of that. And, and we need to keep track of what he does next. If he's headed back to Eastern Washington, I have a hunch he's going to find himself farming in one shape or form one day, but we'll see. It's just one of those things that's in your blood. You know, thanks for joining us this week on the Real Food, Real People podcast. Uh, please stay safe out there. Stay healthy. Follow the guidelines. And we'll get through this thing together. Oh, and I should also thank our sponsors. Real Food, Real People podcast it is sponsored in part by Safe Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. You can find them online at savefamilyfarming.org and by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.